chapter 2 that we've already read in our liturgy tonight. And suddenly there is an angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among those whom he is pleased. Well, it was also on many of the Christmas ornaments that I hung on the tree. And if you keep your eyes open, you probably don't go a day during the Advent season without seeing that precious verse, Luke 2.14, written on something and seeing that angelic pronouncement. And why not? It's a beautiful, beautiful verse. I get that people would turn toward a verse like that during a season like this. The verse that promises peace on earth being a favorite amongst Christmas promises. I feel like this year has probably been a year with more non-peace than any year that I can remember. If that's, I don't know if that's proper grammar. More non-peace um, you know what I'm saying, but it seems like every day you see political infighting. Every day it seems like there's some new psycho that's getting a nuclear weapon. Every day it feels like there's war breaking out amongst people within our own nation. Jesus even promised that as we near his return that there would be wars and rumors of wars. So I get why our hearts would turn toward the promise of the Christ child bringing peace on earth. I long for the day, and I imagine that you long for that day and for that peace as well. You'd have to be Kim Jong-un to not get excited about the promise of peace on earth and goodwill toward man. But what does the little clause at the end of the verse mean when it says to whom he is pleased with what does it mean for God to be pleased with us what does it look like for God to be pleased with us how exactly does God become pleased with us who is he pleased with is being pleased relative like being pleased with a gift and not being pleased with another and making a face like you are pleased with a third so that somebody's not offended. And as I pondered through this, I thought through some of the gifts that were fads on various Christmases that people just had to have. They were so pleased to have, to be able to have on that day that they would literally trample over other shoppers to make sure that their kid got that gift that they had to have in order for their kid to be pleased. Some of the gifts that took me through memory lane was the Cabbage Patch doll. Remember that craze? Furby. Tickle Me Elmo. The Tamagotchis. I don't even know what those were, but I remember that people were killing each other for them. Chatty Cathy dolls. Game Boys. Power Rangers. Pogs. People got excited for Pogs. You remember that? One that I can't go any year without hearing because of this mug is a Red Ryder BB gun. (laughs) You all get it out. I know I look like Ralphie. (laughs) Um, Unfortunately, I got two sons that are the spitting image as well. (laughs) Um, Christmas Snuggie. I don't know if anyone ever trampled someone for a Christmas Snuggie, but... Another thing that you're pleased with and then go from pleased to, I don't know that I'm so pleased. 
just a short time later. Sorry for anyone that bought anyone a Christmas Snuggie if I just burst your bubble. The most amazing thing about each of these is that a lot of them were hard for me to even remember. As I was doing different Google searches of Christmas present fads of the past. And when you do remember it, you kind of remember it in a vaguely nostalgic sort of way. But people were so pleased by these things that they had to have them. And now they're somewhat distant, faded memories. So is it possible that that's how it works in Luke 2.14 when it says that God is pleased with you? Is He deeply pleased with you at some moment when you did something that was deeply pleasing to Him, but His pleasure with you is now a distant memory? So does God being pleased with us change? Is He pleased with us when we're pleasing or acting in a pleasing manner only to become not pleasing when you stumble and fall and struggle like any Christian or human being ever does? And is He pleased with all people? The clause in verse 14 seems to suggest that it's a specific group that the angel was referring to. And if he's pleased with some, then does that mean that he's not pleased with others? Does he go in and out of being pleased? As we spent Advent talking about one singular topic, the topic of reconciliation, tonight to finish our series, I want to look at what do reconciliation and being pleased with have to do with each other. Eternity literally hangs in the balance of the little clause on the famous Christmas promise. So over the next few moments, we're going to talk about the most important clause on Christmas. And it doesn't wear a red suit. So towards the end of the message, I'm going to explain what this idea of God being pleased with mankind has to do specifically with us. But first, I want to transport you by faith back in time to try to understand what the original hearers would have thought when they heard these words. We read them earlier, but they bear reading again. They're precious. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be as a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So who made up this original audience? Like I said, we're going to go back in our mind's eye by faith and just put yourself on the scene. The Bible tells us that shepherds were in the field keeping watch by night. Mary and Joseph were obviously there, right? The newborn king that we celebrate that brought you here tonight was obviously there. The angel who brought the pronouncement of the good news in verses 8-12 through 12 was there. And by the end of the pronouncement, 
And starting in verse 13, we know that an angelic choir filled the field that the shepherds were tending. Modern commentators have suggested that there was probably other people on the scene, but that's speculative. And while there may have been few more people, we know that there certainly wasn't less. One of the reasons that I want to take you guys back in faith to the original manger scene is to help you understand just how radical it is that this concept that God would be pleased with these people. And frankly, how radical it would have been for them to have heard this good news. I don't know that we can really have a context in 2017 for as powerful and as radical as these words would have been. In fact, the very fact that this clause is often left out when quoting this passage shows just how differently we see it because I tell you that in the first century, the verses that were left out would have been the emphasis of this passage and the words with whom he is pleased would have been the emphasis, not an afterthought. From the evangelism that I've done, the general concept that I get from people is, if there really is a God out there, of course he would be pleased with me. After all, this is me we're talking about, right? Have you seen this guy? Have you checked me out? Recently, the idea of somebody not being pleased with us is so difficult for people to wrap their minds around. I mean, somebody just putting a negative comment on your Facebook wall, I've seen just absolutely ruin somebody's week. I've actually had real conversations that go something like, I posted this status, and can you believe that this person said that? I, I, yeah, I can believe it because I don't care. Uh, just newsflash. If you're ever getting into a conversation that starts with, this is what I posted on my social media site, I'm bored before the words even came out of your mouth. But this is a tough concept for someone to understand that every single person in the world is possibly not pleased with them. We actually live in a world where little leagues have to have a remediation committee so that you could go up the chain of command in case your son's little league coach is not as pleased with your little snowflake as you think that they should be. So in 2017, we have a warped concept of what it means for someone to be pleased with us that would not have existed out in this field that these angels appeared to and made this promise 2,000 years ago. So when we generally walk around with the concept that everybody should be pleased with us, even if we've not done anything pleasing for them, that they should be pleased with us, and if they're not, that they're obviously the ones that are wrong, should we be surprised if we're a little bit distorted when we look at what it would mean for God to be pleased with us? 
But the people who heard this original promise wouldn't have had the delusions that I just had to spend five minutes cutting through. So the radical nature of this promise would not have been lost on them. It would have been jaw-dropping, as a matter of fact. I mean, teaching in that day was really, really harsh. You can read about it in the way that Jesus rebuked the Pharisees in Matthew 23, eight different times. He says, woe to you, Pharisees, because what they were doing is taking God and making a loving God seem as if he was distant and far off and unobtainable for the people. You could see it clearly in the prayer of the Pharisee and the publican in Luke's gospel, where the man stands up and self-righteously prays, God, thank you that you made me awesome. And I am in no way like this dude over here. Could you imagine being on the scene when that prayer was prayed, while the other man is beating his chest, saying, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You read about it all the way back where the people were astonished at Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount because his teaching made God seem near rather than those who spent their entire existence trying to make God seem distant. Teaching was aimed at God seeming distant, and the religious elite were constantly preaching this message that God is angry with you, and God is not pleased with you if you are common people, which is why Jesus came and was born as common people amongst common people and came to minister to common people just like you and me. How many of you are grateful today that Jesus Christ came to love common people? I mean, I meet people today that grew up under that teaching that God is angry with them and that God goes in and out of being pleased with them. And my entire discipleship in their life consists of trying to unpack a singular reality that God is not angry with you. God's in love with you. Can't you get this? But they've had so much God is angry at you beaten into them that it's so hard for them to have a concept of a loving God. So now, go back to the scene. An unwed teenage mom would not have walked around with this concept that God must be pleased with me. Shepherds who are considered to be outcasts and unclean by their very profession lived under a gospel of condemnation. They certainly would not have thought that God was pleased with them. So this message is radical. And they would have understood it as such when it came out of the angelic choir's mouth. And I want to tell you the crux of my message here this evening is that message is no less radical today on December 24th, 2017, as it was when it was spoken in that field the very first night on the birth of Jesus. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled, is still just as good of news as it was back then. Because the barrier is the same as it was back then. The barrier was sin that created a chasm between God and man, and the remedy is still the same. There is to you a Savior born in Jerusalem. The remedy is still the same. 
So that puts a little context on just how awesome these words were that God is pleased with us. But what does it mean that God is pleased with us? And I'm going to try to, in the next five minutes, unpack that for you and give a reality to set our hearts for worship this Christmas. Going back to the very first time that he uttered these words about man, Genesis 1.31, after he was done from creation and he was resting from his creation, taking a time of Sabbath, which for some of you, that might be the good news that you came here for. You can rest tomorrow. You know that? You can rest and have time of Sabbath and enjoyment with your Lord. But after God finished creating, he looked at man and you know what he said? He looked at all that he created, and behold, he was pleased. And that brings us to our very first reality of what it means for God to be pleased with us. God created you because he wants to be pleased with you. Can you get that tonight? God created you because he wants to be pleased with you. How cool is that? The God of the universe created you because he wants you to be able to spend all of eternity delighting in him. But it's going to work two ways. He's going to spend all of eternity enjoying you. God enjoys you. Do you realize that today? You know that I went years in my Christian walk without realizing that God enjoys me? So for some of you, you might even be mature in your faith and you've not wrapped your mind around that reality that God created you because he wants to be pleased with you. Obviously, after Genesis 1 and 2, you see the problems start to come in in Genesis 3 when sin enters the world. But in the very next chapter, there's a man who offers up a sacrifice named Abel. And guess what it says about Abel's sacrifice God looked upon the sacrifice of Abel and he was pleased. Pointing to the greater sacrifice that God would look upon and be so pleased that he would be able to pronounce, it is finished. As we make our way to the New Testament and towards the end of this message, after the pronouncement of the birth of Jesus, the next place that this language is used is at his, at his, at his baptism. As he's coming up out of the water, the sky is open, and the Father pronounces as the Spirit descends like a dove, giving this beautiful picture of the Trinitarian Gospel. Behold, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. The next time you see this is again when God rends the heavens and the earth in Matthew chapter 17 at the transfiguration when, God, when Jesus shows His glory and reveals His deity to the disciples up on the mountain and God once again speaks from heaven and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Paul tells us something really amazing about the way the Father views us in Galatians 2.20. He says, behold, this is Paul speaking, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. We were figuratively, wrap your minds around this. You were figuratively in Jesus when he was crucified. But also in some literal sense, Paul's able to say, we were crucified with Jesus. So when the Father looks at the victory that was won by Jesus as he was crucified and died for your sins, if Paul's able to say that we were crucified with Christ, guess what it means? It sees that he's in Jesus 
at that moment. So when Jesus defeated sin, it could be said that those of us who are in Jesus defeated sin as well. Death was conquered and it was no more. His victory was given to us. His righteousness was given to us. So since God sees us in Jesus, when God says that he's pleased with Jesus, he in a very real sense is saying that he is pleased with all who are in Jesus. So the reason the angels could proclaim this good news of peace on earth with whom he is pleased is because God is pleased with you in Christ. If you're here and you've never embraced Jesus as your Savior, I beg you, Pastor Daniel couldn't have begged you more clearly this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Be reconciled to Him. If you're here and you've been trying to have a relationship with God and you think that it's dependent on something that you have to do, I have good news for you. There is nothing that you could do to ever have a relationship with God because you don't have to work for something that was already purchased on your behalf. You don't have to walk out of here wondering if God is pleased with you. And I say that to the non-Christian and the Christian alike because I've sat under some condemning messages that were supposedly gospel messages wondering, is God truly pleased with me even though I was loving Jesus with everything that I knew how to love Him with? I still didn't know if it was enough to be pleasing. You don't have to leave here wondering that tonight, folks. You don't have to walk out of here wondering if peace has been offered to you. You don't have to leave here and struggle with being in a peace, a place of peace. You can know peace and you can leave here knowing that He is pleased with you because He is fully pleased with Jesus and He is fully pleased with all who know Jesus. So I invite you Put your faith in Him. Know that peace that the angels proclaimed that day long ago. And Christian, let me close with some words of worship to you. Our Father is not some capricious Father who will be pleased with us and walk in and out of being pleased with you based on your behavior. That's the way that I used to believe Christianity worked. I thought there was nothing that I could do to please God in order for Him to save me. There was nothing I could do to be able to merit that salvation. There was nothing that I could do to make Him pleased with me enough to save me. But guess what? I didn't have to. I used to live with this view that if I messed up, then God looked down with a scowl of disappointment. And that couldn't be further from the truth. And that honestly doesn't deal plainly with our text this evening. He proclaimed peace to you and that God is pleased with you. Not an occasional peace or occasionally pleased. Listen, God doesn't go in and out of being pleased with you based on how pleasing you are at the moment because it wasn't anything that you did to make God pleased with you to begin with. Is that good news or what? You didn't make Him pleased with you. I see myself when I'm not pleasing. God sees myself when I'm not pleasing. 
Yet God doesn't go in and out of being pleased with me or with you. God is fully pleased with you because he's fully pleased with the satisfactory sacrifice of Jesus. And guess what? He's never going to stop being pleased with Jesus. So he's never going to stop being pleased with those of us who are in Jesus. So our application tonight is worship. If you are reconciled to God, it means that you forever live in the place of peace and goodwill that was proclaimed in verse 14. You are who the angels were speaking of when they came and pronounced peace on earth for whom he is pleased. God is pleased with you in Christ. And since he's pleased with you, the rest of the promise applies to you as well. He's granted that you should know and walk in peace. So guess what, child of God? When you wake up tomorrow, He will still be pleased with you. And that's the good news. And that's something worthy of rejoicing. Let's pray. God, I thank You so much that Your pleasure rests on what You have accomplished on our behalf. God, I thank you that you do not go in and out of being pleased with us. God, I thank you that you are pleased with Jesus. And through faith in Jesus, you are pleased with us, your children, as well. Thank you that to us a Savior has been born in Jerusalem. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.